Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette Recaps His Dark Materials with Peter Sagal. I am Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And we are joined, I think, by Peter Sagal. Peter, are you with us right now? I, I am here. I am in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. I have had three hours of sleep. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just living your best life at this point. I really am. This is, this is what I dreamed of when I was a young man, that I'd be <laughs> sleep-deprived somewhere in a cubicle at an American <laughs> Airlines lounge talking about a TV show. This is what I... I wanted, and now I have it. Wait, so is it really a cubicle? Yeah, they've got this sort of business center set up. <laughs> so there's all these little cubicles in the back of a lounge that look very much like cubicles, and I'm sitting in one, uh, bothering the heck out of other people who are trying to do business around me. <laughs> Just make it sound more businessy. Buy, sell. I think, yes, exactly. I think in the third quarter of this television show, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. All right. So today we're recapping season one, episode four of His Dark Materials. It was called Armor. It was the Lin-Manuel Miranda episode. We are all very thrilled, I think. I don't know. I guess I have just spoken for all of us. What did you all think? Did you like the episode? Trisha, you go first. (laughs) Um, I did. I think, you know, we're going places now. We've got our hero's journey in full swing. We're putting together our band of characters and the two that were introduced to us uh, in this episode, I like a great deal for different reasons. So I'm a big fan of this giant bear. think he's pretty cool. Got a big drunk bear to hang out with now. And uh, a sort of rapscallion, Han Solo-esque Lin-Manuel Miranda, which Things I'm digging. Things are looking up, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. let's let's start by diving in with a clip of Lee and the character who might be my favorite character now, Hester. Hester! I'm right here. What do you see? Looks like we're not the only ones heading to Trollison. Lee, are you sure Yorick will want us making trouble? The bear saved our lives, Hester. We owe him trouble. So exciting. Oh, I'm glad you were all very excited. Um, (laughs) I, I need to make an important announcement. Okay. Which is, you may remember that, I think it was the last podcast we did, and I said, wow, I read these books so long ago, I'm wondering if I really like them as much as I remember like Oh, them. yeah? Or maybe my tastes have changed. So oh. I decided to start rereading the book. That is an announcement. Um, and I, first of all, I remember why I love the book. The book is so great. And it reminded me why I loved Lyra and why I was so entranced with this world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that was nice. But it also means that now I have a much more vivid memory of what's going on in the book. And so now I'm judging the TV show a little bit more like, you know, a detached observer, what kind of decisions they made. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I like the TV show even less. Uh-oh. I'm really sorry. But I think because, like I said, I mean, th- there are a lot of things that I didn't understand that make sense to me now. So, for example, we discussed that incredibly strange expository scene in which uh, in which Ma Costa tells Lyra about who her mother is. Right. And I was like, well, that's just a ridiculous scene. It's this big expository scene. Well, as I think one of you pointed out... It's pretty close. It's a, yeah, it's, it's not only is it accurate, but it I, I could see the writer, Jack Thorne, try to make it more dramatic than it was in the book. Because one of you pointed out, yeah, the Egyptians are the ones who tell her. Yeah. So, so I'm and it's seeing those decisions, but I'm also not agreeing with those decisions. 
And one of the decisions I'm not agreeing with, and I hate to say this for reasons you two know. Are you going to say it's the the casting of Lin-Manuel Miranda? I'm going to say the casting of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Everybody quiet, because Peter Sagal's got another goddamn opinion. Let's listen to a voicemail that sort of agrees with you and then continue this argument that we're about to have. Hi, Nerdettes and Peter. This is Lucia from Northern California. I have not read any of the books, nor did I see The Golden Compass, but I am very much enjoying this series. That said, I just don't think Lin-Manuel Miranda was cast well in the part of Lee Scoresby. He just doesn't make a good cowboy. But I do have one thought. If the witches are allowed to send their demons to speak for them and be so far away from them, and Mrs. Coulter's demon was in the study by itself that time, does that mean Mrs. Coulter is a witch? Just thinking. Thanks. Just thinking, Trisha, as you heard that, you were tapping your little nose. You indicate that maybe she's right, as if we were playing charade. I was tapping my nose. I had the same thought once that fact was revealed about witches. First of all, you're not allowed to wonder if anybody is a witch without using your money Python voice. <laughs> is she a witch? <laughs> That's a rule. We have to find out if she floats. I'm so glad yeah. you just said that at the American Airlines lounge <laughs> at Dallas Fort Worth, Peter. They're gonna, the security is going to come it's by. Like, what the hell is um, going on? Yeah, they don't allow money Python bits inside Admiral's uh, uh, clubs. Yeah. I think she said it best. He's no cowboy, and that has more to do with, I mean, the character of Lee Scoresby in the book is obviously a, a British guy's take on the kind of stereotypes. <laughs> yeah, which true. I think totally works. I think Lynn pulls that off exquisitely. Well, I think well, we're just said, deciding to do a very different thing with this character. Right. Which is maybe a good thing because everyone else is sort of somber and everything's sort of dark. And Lin-Manuel Miranda's character is the first time it's sort of clear that Lyra's going to go on an adventure. Like, yes, children are being stolen and blah, blah, blah. Dark, dark, dark. But I want to have a little fun on this trip, and he seems to be the only one enjoying himself in any way. Yeah. Well, and how great is Hester? There are aspects of the character that have been added, and now I know this because I'm reading the book again. For example, this whole business that he's a pickpocket. Yeah. That's new, that he's sort of a trickster, that he's sort of a, a funny comic relief thing. This is all pretty much added, and my guess is is that they either added it for Lin-Manuel Miranda, because that's the kind of guy he is. He's cheerful and charming. There's a moment, it's actually the moment they, tr- they used for his shot in the preview trailers way back before the show started, where he's looking at the Sisselman, the chief of police or whatever he is, and he's got a look of real menace in his face. And I'm like, no. <laughs> that's hilarious. No, you guys know how much I love Manuel Miranda, how much I want him to be my friend how much I admire him. I think he's the most talented and nicest and bestest person, but he doesn't exude menace. Okay. I'm sorry. But speaking of Sisselman, did y'all pick up on who that was? Oh, that's deadly. I, I, I recognized him, that's... and I couldn't figure out who it was, so I looked it up, and I was utterly delighted to find out. Dudley yep. Dursley. Yep. Yes. And not only, although I didn't recognize him from that, because no, if you either. look him up, which I did, he's lost a he's tremendous lost, amount lost of, weight, a lot of weight, which he talks about uh, <laughs> in, as, as a sort of personal journey. You, so this is why you only slept three hours, because you ended up reading about the personal journey of the guy who played Dudley? <laughs> yeah, Peter, that's my move to not sleep and read the internet all night. Come on. <laughs> but uh, I recognized him because if you've seen the movie um, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs on Netflix... <laughs> Haven't, no. Which is 
which is fantastic. Hmm. I recommend it. It's a Coen Brothers movie. He plays an armless, legless storyteller. It is the weirdest thing you've ever seen. And it's all about that face he has with his eyes a little too close together. It's very vivid. Yeah, the eyes um, are what did it for me. I was like, I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. And then I finally like, I realized it guy. was Dudley. Huh. Yeah. He, one of the things he says is that since he's lost so much weight, nobody bothers him by shouting Dudley at him anymore. So well, he's I happy mean, about that's that. great. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but I, the point is, is that either they changed the character to fit Lin-Manuel's persona or they changed the character and then hired Lin-Manuel to play it. But either way, I'm just I'm just not digging it. I think that the answer is is that they changed the character and then cast Lin Manuel because he was the first one cast, and so I think Jack Thorne's version of this character was perceived or was sort of imagined to be different, and so they yeah. wanted somebody who matched what he had written, and he kind of I think didn't quite write it for him, but it wasn't sort of an accident that they cast Lin Manuel Miranda and then had to make these adjustments. It feels like Jack Thorne wanted a more Han Solo-esque character and less of a Sam Elliott kind of cowboy. Which, yeah, I mean, so Sam Elliott was cast as Lee Scoresby in the movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And and, and, and and the character is written in the books so that you think, oh, it's uh, Sam Elliott, that's the guy, this lanky cowboy with a mustache and a, and a slow talk and doesn't say much, but when he says it, you better listen, that kind of guy. And, uh, yeah, that's not it. I don't know. I'm happy to overwrite my memory to have this, like, charming trickster. I think it's... So much fun to see Lynn. I mean, I did write at one point, this is a very confusing accent. <laughs> yeah. You know, even the way Trollicent, it's like, what are you, what are you doing, <laughs> man? But other than that, I'm all in. It's, it's a little bit like Princess Leia's British accent, is that she seems to have it at the beginning of the movie, and then she loses it. He seems to see have a Texas accent at the start of the episode, and then he loses it, which doesn't make any sense, because they don't film these scenes in order, but that's how it seems to play. <laughs> I was hoping maybe that this very start of the episode where he was singing meant that we were now just in a musical forever. <laughs> I know. I the Lisa say, Frank Never stop singing, Lynn. Never stop. Never stop singing. His costume singing. was great. I will give everybody that. Yeah. I admired his leather and vest. Well, yeah, he did have a pretty cool costume. Well, we're talking about people in the North and how they're dressed. Greta, Game of Thrones always fell short in your estimation by not having people dressed appropriately for mm-hmm. winter. Mm-hmm. How are we doing in His Dark Materials you with know, our winter garb? It's funny you say that because someone did tweet complaining that if it were really that cold, you would be able to see their breath as they talk. And so this is therefore inaccurate climate science mm. happening, which yeah. I was delighted by because any nitpicking you can do around cold weather. I think but people seem important. to be wearing more hats and coats. And yes, they are wearing more hats. Mrs. And Coulter coats. had quite a hat. Oh my gosh, that, oh, hat that was, was quite a hat. Ridiculous. You may remember I was the one who used to complain about Game of Thrones with the lack of hats, and so I was quite <laughs> satisfied hat wise. Well, and those shoes, too, that she decided to wear through that cave were ridiculous. (laughs) Well, let's start back at the beginning. I mean, one thing that I do think we should all be very grateful for is the fact that this episode started and everybody's just in Trollicent. There's yeah. no, we didn't have like, three boat episodes. Exactly, yeah, because we could have had a lot of time on boats. And we cut straight to the chase and we're in Trollicent, which I kind of loved how it ended up having this like kind of Wild West vibe about it, too. Did it feel Alaskan to you? Sort of, but not. Okay, because I think for people in who aren't ways. familiar with Alaska, it reads Alaska-y. Yeah, no, it reminded yeah. me of a place I've actually been in Alaska called Halibut Bay, which is across the way from... Um, Homer? Oh, you Homer, yeah. Yeah. It looks a lot like that. Very beautiful and remote and craggy. It's just great. Yeah, it's all those crags, you know. 
So one of the early scenes we have with the between the Egyptians is with uh, John Fa and Farter Coram and and like Lyra's weirded out by Trollicent and they're just kind of walking around. They're talking about how they need to get the witches. They talk about the alethiometer. Well, no, they don't just talk about the alethiometer. They pull out the alethiometer. <laughs> right. And then walk right. through town with it. And walk down, literally down Main Street holding it out <laughs> until somebody says, oh, maybe you should put that away. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. Very good point. Yes, that's true. Um, one scene I loved was the consistency that Lyra always takes the stairs two by two. Like she is always charging up a staircase, which I think is just such a great, like tiny character development mm, thing. That is great. But from there they go to the person who I will call the witch whisperer, whose name I cannot recall. The witch council. The witch council. Yes. Um, who also has a snake demon. Do you think like, is that one of those things where you can just tell somebody is a creep if they have a snake demon? Is it like being in Slytherin where not everyone who has a snake demon is evil, but everyone who's evil like, has a snake demon? Uh, odds are, yeah, the square rectangle yeah. thing. It's yeah. like there's some kind of correlation, if not causation, in this situation, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you guys so. recognize that actor, by the way? No. He looks familiar to me, but um, I couldn't quite place him. Huh. He looks familiar to me, too, and now I'm going to look up what look else he has up. been in. And we hear, you know, he confirms the rumors about the gobblers, and he uses a term that we have not yet heard in the TV show about what's going on with the kids, which is intercision. Which sounds terrifying. Yes. Which is a very uh, creepy term. Another great word. Um, it was weird, you know, having read this scene in the book. It's it's like a pretty faithfully constructed scene from the book, right, Peter? I mean, you've read it more recently than I have now. Yeah, but it's so funny. The, I, with the council of witches. Yeah, yeah. I did not expect the cloud pine to be in jars like that. I always thought it was just like a closet full of sticks. Yeah, I, I, I was very surprised by that as well. But maybe they're, you know, maybe they're trying to set us up for a big reveal, i.e., oh, look, cloud pine is just little sprigs. And then when the witches show up, hopefully in an episode or two, they'll be riding huge branches and it will be cool. That's what I got for you there. I'm so excited to see some witches. So is that what I meant to assume is that in the same way that the wand chooses the wizard and like the materials are important, that like a specific tree has a tie to... The witch, and then that's their broom tree? Well, I mean, I think all the broom trees is cloud pine, I think, is the variety of broom tree. (laughs) Uh, But everybody's got their own. I think what's happening is, like, you know, if I gave you, like, a shard from my wand, you could page me with that shard because it's magically connected to my wand, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Lyra got, essentially, like, a witch pager when she got that little bit of the cloud pine. Okay. I assume it's, like, a sprig that was taken off of her broom. Okay. I do love the idea of a witch pager. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, right? Like, that's what's happening. Yeah, I'm just I'm just imagining a witch doing witchy stuff, and then she goes, oh, wait a minute, looks it under her belt. Oh, she's like, oh, I gotta go. Peace. <laughs> Anybody got a phone? I just got a page. <laughs> All right, let's listen to another clip. I'm passing leadership of the ablation board on to Father MacPhail, and as of now, you're stripped of all official duties. Hmm. Hmm? Beautifully done. Mm. Now shall I tell you why you won't? And why I go north tomorrow? I have Lord Azrael. You have Azrael? In a jail. Controlled by bears who are, in this case, controlled by me. (laughs) 
I will travel to the north and I will give him to you as an act of service. And in return, you'll allow me to pursue our project until its end. And you will allow me to ask one question of Fra Pavel and his alethiometer. That seems like a high price. For Azrael, it's cheap. It's cheap. She's not around, man. Whew. Right before that clip in the same scene, uh, the Cardinal angrily mentions uh, Mrs. Coulter's violation of Scholastic Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And it did make me think that if we had a drinking game <laughs> for so this drunk. show, we Scholastic Sanctuary would definitely be something that you would have to take a shot when you heard. As I keep saying, one of the things that really appealed to me about the whole, whole story is this idea that every single person has a demon, a companion, an animal spirit, and that's the world they walk around in. And they're not walking around in that world. And it's like it's like a bunch of guys in a bar and Lin-Manuel Miranda who's talking to his rabbit. And that's just <laughs> not what I signed up for. He, he does look a little out of place because he does seem to be just the only dude who has to talk to a rabbit. Well, his rabbit right. is also like the most talkative demon that we've come across so far. Yeah, yeah she, she's uh, a very charming rabbit. Narrated his fight. Yes, we don't have that scene particu- exactly, but we do have just before that. What are you all afraid of? That I'll learn your secrets. That I'm grubbing for shady business, I'm not. I am simply after a bear. It's kind of royal looking. Fancy armor. You know what a bear looks like, don't you? Thick coat, big teeth, cute little nose. Right. Well, at this point, you're either being ignorant or willfully obstructed. So in that scene, only the word either had a Texas accent. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all very confusing. We could also apparently do a drinking game that's just which words are in a Texas accent. Because <laughs> it's only one out of every, like, 30 to 40 words. Well, and I think any reference to the prophecy would also be a great drinking game yeah. thing. Because that happened a couple times in this episode, too, right? So right after the bar fight scene, we go back to the magisterium. Mrs. Coulter is able to ask Fra Pavel the question of the alethiometer. Was his alethiometer larger or was it just the perspective that threw me off? It it, it looked to me like it was the same device, but in a much more elaborate case. Oh, maybe that's what it was. But the question Mrs. Coulter wants answered is who is Lyra Balacqua? Right. Which I think she should know. Right. Because she's her mom. Exactly. And she certainly is intimately connected with her father. So what's the question? I think that's something that we're supposed to wonder. It's, I don't know. The whole politics of the magisterium and all the priests and Mrs. Coulter's demands and their attempt to control her and all of that stuff and the scene with Lord Boreal and I'm the person who knows this and you're going to do this. None of that has any weight for me. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they're arguing with each other, what they represent, what each of them really wants. Am I missing something you guys are seeing? To picture you complaining about this show at an airport. (laughs) Particularly because everybody around me is trying to find someplace else to be. (laughs) They're they're walking away going, Yeah, sorry, Bob, I can't hear you. There's this 
asshole complaining about this TV show in the corner. There's a guy who's very upset about a children's television <laughs> He's show. He's talking for 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. In just a second, we'll get back to more of Peter's very polite whinging. <laughs> This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Trisha, I'd be curious what you think, especially as someone who has not read the books and I think so far is still avoiding accidental spoilers on the internet. Yeah, I feel like there's a couple of things that I've accidentally stumbled on just from Twitter and stuff like that about uh, what might be happening in our London, in the modern day our London, just Mm. because people have been talking about like clues for when that's all going to pop up. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I think we're now sort of got our whole band together. All the Muppets are in the car for this road trip. Yes. Like, let's go. Yeah. Um, and start, you know, having bear fights <laughs> and or... Uh, is, there, is there something that you've done before, Trish? Because I think you have gone back to the Muppet movie as the Ur-text. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's like, the like, road like trip. Like jo- Joseph <laughs> Campbell had, you know, this tale of Jason and the Argonauts as the Ur story of, of myth and quest. And you yeah. have the Muppet movie. Yeah, we send each other that gif all the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you were saying. Yeah, I think, you know, now the band's together. They're going to hit the road. And now we're going to. If moving right along to the Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess, Peter, I do I do feel like your point about what is the role for uh, Lee Scoresby is a little yeah. unclear so far. But also a seasoned adventurer seems like a good thing to have with you when you're about to go on such an adventure. Right. But I guess what I'm questioning is the whole idea of an adventurer. An adventurer is a term of storytelling. It's not a term of life, right? Nobody, nobody says, I'm an adventurer. I go on adventures. They say, I'm a mercenary. I'm a soldier. I'm an explorer. I'm a whatever. And he seems only to be an adventurer, a quirky, fun guy that will be ha- fun to have along. I'm, I'm doing that thing where I'm sort of waving my fists in the air like I'm doing a little happy dance. That's <laughs> what I mean. He's like, he's, he's there just to provide charm. Well, he's and, also uh, got a balloon, <clears throat> right? He does have a balloon. That's true. Yeah, he's That's he's true. air reconnaissance. Uh, he does have a gun, right? He's a gunslinger. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he can help out in a fight. And he seems to be, if uh, if this bear is Chewbacca and who's actually the one who's going to do all the hard work, then he's Han Solo, who like, yeah, is piloting, yeah, but also Han just... Han Solo thing is probably a pretty good adventuring. analogy, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, Han Solo, Han. Excuse me, wow, Peter. Kind of wanted me you to need do to that. be I careful. I think our listeners wanted me to do that at least once. <laughs> they also want um, you to know it's not cyberpunk; it's steampunk. Oh, I know. I got I got two <laughs> okay. or three tweets yeah. about okay, that, good. and I already apologized. <laughs> they were actually right. I've been saying cyberpunk when I meant steampunk Great. the whole time. Uh-huh. My apologies. <laughs> My apologies to all the nerds out there with their you know eight lens monocles and top hats. I'm really sorry. 
Um, Gather around and listen while old Peter Sagelman brings this show to you. <laughs> I've completely forgotten. What we were talking All right, about. let's let's listen to another voicemail. Hey guys, this is Steph and Isaac. We're calling from Somerville, Massachusetts. My demon would definitely be a very fluffy golden retriever. And mine would be a very adorable cat. Uh, we watch the show every week and we listen to you guys every week as well. Calling to say that I think the producers are doing a really good job with the animal CGI. Um, though I did notice a real dog at the end of last night's episode. Um, and I really appreciated the armored bear's armor. I think my favorite part of this episode was Hester yelling out fight advice during the bar scene. Um, I think they did a very good job with that. All right. Thank you, guys. Um, what a cute couple they are. I they're know, adorable. right? Um, they're right. The animal CGI is actually great. There were a bunch of times where I found myself wondering, is that a real animal? Did they get a dog on the set to walk around? Because it looks pretty real. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But it's a tribute to how well they did with the CGI. They have used some real animals, which is why PETA says that the show is bad, because... They say that the fact that the CGI animals look so good means that it's proof that you don't have to put real animals on a set. But there are some real animals on set. And then, of course, some armored bears, which are not real. And then, of course, the armored Uh, bears. Because I've been whinging so much, I have actually been looking forward to being able to say I loved Yorick Bernison. I thought he was exactly right. He looked right. He sounded right. He acted right. It was just what I had wanted to see. And, and, And because he seems angry and alienated and dangerous. Yes. And that's what I wanted, and it's great. So, so, yay, props for you guys. Marcel and Courtney agreed with you. Let's listen to it. Hi, this is Courtney and Marcel. And we're calling from Indianapolis. Not calling. <laughs> we're doing a voice memo from Indianapolis, Indiana. And we just watched episode, episode four of uh, His Dark Materials. And... Mm-hmm. The part that I like... Whoa, wait. You gotta tell him your demon first. <laughs> My demon is probably the leopard. Okay. And mine would be a, a tree squirrel. Okay. So, part and you liked the most? The part I liked the most is the armored bear. Because, mm-hmm. like, it's so cool because, like, they fight and they're so powerful. And then the part I didn't like is, mm-hmm. like, when she had a problem... Why wouldn't she just look at the Alethium? I know. I was thinking the same thing. Like, why is she not using this tool constantly to learn everything she can about this world? Anyways. Um, oh, and Marcel, tell them how old you are. I'm nine. Yeah. So this is our show that we're watching together. Um, so that's fun. He's <laughs> never actually listened to Nerd Debt. I love listening to it, though. So maybe he'll listen to the podcast with me now. Okay. Let's wish him a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye. Can I immediately say I want to hear many more voicemails from parents and kids or just kids? <laughs> yes, yes, please. Wonderful. Yes. We actually have, should we listen to the other one we have right now from Addie? I'm just thinking also, though, Greta, that all these F-bombs you've I been know, dropping. I know. I knew immediately once we heard a kid voicemail, you were going to tell me to stop cursing and I'm going to I'm gonna work on it. Hi, I'm Addie from California. I'm eight years old. And what I like about... <laughs> Um, what is it called? Uh, <laughs> H, the, the new His Dark Materials from HBO. The, my character, my favorite characters were Lyra. Lee, I really, I kind of liked Lee's demon. And I, I liked Mrs. Coulter, Lee Scoresby. 
and Lord Azrael. And what would your demon be? And if I had a demon, mine would probably end up as a lizard or a frog. My mom's would probably end up as a ferret. <laughs> Daddy! Is your mom okay with being a ferret demon? I <laughs> oh don't know. Oh my gosh. I was just thinking how great it would be to have a ferret demon. <laughs> it would be cool. They get around a lot. Uh, they can be sneaky. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm really glad we're getting voicemails and that you're playing them for us, Greta, because it actually, it, it, it sort of humbles me a little that I'm sort of, you know, criticizing this thing because it's not as skillful as Game of Thrones or it's not as well acted or it's not as... A, this is a kid's TV show based on a kid's book. And even <laughs> yeah, though... chill out, Peter. <laughs> I know. I know I'm, I'm, that's what I'm telling myself. And, and even though it was an excellent kid's book or a YA book, one of the best I've ever read, um, that entranced me when I was a grown up, grown ass man. It's still that, and and I'm beginning to understand that when they made this TV show, they decided to keep it aimed at that age. And yeah. I think we should it, remember too that it's not just an HBO show. This is a BBC HBO yes, project, and it's airing on Sunday nights in the UK, and much more of a family show there, I think, too, in terms of how it's being promoted. Which then, to me, puts it very much into the tradition there of Doctor Who, which is a family-friendly adventure show where there are episodes of that show that gave me nightmares because they're psychologically scary Mm -hmm. versus the American version of scary is usually just gore, right? Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of violence. Yeah, it's not going to be bloody. But, but just the book isn't terrifying either. in that, like we were saying earlier, Spielbergy way where things can be really scary but mm-hmm. be still just off screen. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. we're just hearing screams or we're hearing, you know, seeing a shadow of something. I think it might lean more towards that. But there's been some pretty darn scary Doctor Who episodes where they kind of still keep it safe for Marcel and Addie, but also yeah. scare the pants off of me. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean that's obviously what they're going for, and but and I, whether they succeed or not, I'm just reminding myself that that's what they're doing. They're yeah. not, you know, Game of Thronesing it up. They're not, you know, they're, they're they're aiming for that kind of of tension rather than the sometimes really violent stuff that happens in the book. They're, you know, that bear in the books kills people bloodily, and I I wonder if we're going to like for example that very scene we just saw with him and poor Dudley Dursley. Mm-hmm. In the, I mean, it's maybe we shouldn't call him Dudley anymore. But I think it's really important. In the TV show, you saw him put his paw on the guy's head, which was bad. Uh huh. In that very same moment in the book, which again I just read, so it's quite vivid in my memory, he takes the guy's head in his mouth. <laughs> he is going to bite that guy's head right off when Lyra stops him. And the fact that they made that decision to change it indicates to me what they're doing with that aspect of the book. Well, it's probably easier CGI-wise, right? Paw versus mouth? Paw. They can probably do anything they want. But, I mean, I, I think they're... I, I mean, that's just a sense I get. We'll see yeah. as it moves into more um, active scenes later on. One thing, another thing that was different from the books that I found very surprising was Serafina Pecola's demon, the witch's demon who we meet. Yes. Is what in the show? It's like a hawk or something. Yeah, I, I, I thought a there, goose. it looked like some sort of like osprey the book, or right? ocean-going hawk. In the book, it's a goose, which was very funny because I saw the hawk and I was like, "That's supposed to be a pelican." And I think because her last name is Pecola, <laughs> I transposed a pelican as her demon for some reason. But yeah, it's supposed to be a goose. Which I like. Why would you make that change? That one I was kind of because geese are weird. Geese are awesome. No, they're mean. Yeah. I, that's true. Uh, my guess is is that they tried it. I am anti-goose. Trish. I am on the record as being <laughs> afraid of birds and anti-goose. And now we can move forward. <laughs> <laughs> my, 
my guess is, is that, you know, in the book, they describe this goose as being elegant and regal and even mysterious as it floats in to deliver messages from, from Serafina Pecola. But I bet they tried it up, they sketched it out, and they were like, nah, it looks like a goose. Make it a hawk. <laughs> Let's listen to another voicemail that I related to very strongly. Here we go. Hi, Nerdette. This is Alex in Madison, Wisconsin. And this episode tonight reminded me of the first time I read the books when I was a kid. And I was just enthralled with Yorick because I thought he was drunk on ghosts. I didn't know what spirits were, so I just assumed it was ghosts. Uh, one of those disappointments of growing up when I realized that it was not ghosts, it was just booze. But as a grown-up, I can also console myself with my very own spirits. So at least there's that. Thanks. Love the show. <laughs> drunk on ghosts. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, being drunk on ghosts is not something that wouldn't happen in this world. Exactly. You know, it feels cool. kind of right, doesn't it? We skipped over a question that uh, our young caller had in the last voice movie you played, which is why doesn't Lyra always mm. use the geometer? Yeah, what do you think? And it's a good question. Um, the, and again, the only thing I can say again is it, it, it seems in the books that the alethiometer is only appropriate for certain moments of decision. And it's also true in the book, and this may have something to do with it, that in the books, Lyra is a much more active character. She doesn't talk as much. She moves. She acts. Mm -hmm. In fact, at one point, the narrator uh, from the authorial voice points out that Lyra isn't really the kind of person who stops to consider their behavior. She's just active. She has a certain confidence in herself. She just moves. And so maybe it's in the book, she's She's so active that she doesn't have time to stop and check the alethiometer. She yeah. thinks that there's something to be done down there. She goes. She has an idea about how to escape or how to get this or how to get that. She goes. But because this liar is so much more conversational, she has so much more dialogue scenes with these people discussing these problems, then you're starting wondering, well, why are they wondering about this when she could just pull the device out of her pocket and, you know, find out? Yeah, or even if we saw it as something where... She had to really clear her mind and get into some sort of trance-like state where, like, it took more time out or yeah. it seemed like to take a more physical... inconvenient Yeah, somehow. if it was somehow more inconvenient or, like, it made her tired, like it took a physical toll in some way. That, I think, would be interesting, too. Yeah, because as it's been shown to us, I would be asking it everything all the time also. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you want to Google everything anyway. Yeah. That's all you'd be doing. You'd just be using it as Google. <laughs> be my smart speaker? Exactly. Alethiometer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th I think that uh, her showing it off with the witch council made it seem pretty easy, but I still wonder if we're meant to think that not every kind of question can be answered by it or that it wouldn't be yeah. always be as easy or, you know, I'm wondering, like, I don't, I don't have a great sense still as just a viewer who's only seen it happen a couple of times if it always works or... I think a lot of the trick of it is figuring out how to use those symbols to ask the question that you want, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. then also how to interpret those symbols to be an answer that makes sense. Yeah, for, like for both other of those people, can be confusing. For other people, it seems like they're interpreting. For her, it seems like she's being shown an answer, right? Like she has the sight to put it in sort of Harry Potter terms. Like she's Trelawney, so the kids are sitting in a room, <laughs> Come on, being let's taught give to her look more at more credit than Trelawney. Well, she's she's better at it, maybe more consistently. <laughs> but like, whereas in an academic way, other people have studied the way to use this for divination. She seems to have some sort of innate special connection to it. Yeah, but I think it would still be possible for her to ask a question where she gets an answer that she doesn't quite get. 
you sure. know, where it's like, like I can't, you know, I can't quite puzzle out what exactly this means until maybe she sees it happening and then she's like, oh, that's what that was. But you know yeah, what I mean? It's still not 100 percent clear what she sees because we're not. Yes. To your um, a- approval, yes, Greta, which is a good thing. Actually, seeing it and her analogy in this, this episode, right, is it's like going down a ladder in the dark. Mm-hmm. You're not really yeah. sure where the next rung is, but then you find it. Which I thought was a nice way of putting it, but it also still it makes it unclear to me whether she's seeing, like you're saying, like a slice of vision that is out of a context, maybe not helpful yet, like you're saying, Greta, or mm-hmm. if she is just given sort of um, like a memory of something, whether or not, you know, like I'm not sure what the right word is to use for what she sees, how much information she gets in yeah. response to a question. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about with that in that scene, which is how great was it when Lyra asked if there were any other questions she could ask? That it's very journalistically sound. That is the best journalism question. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Always save that, that one for the last question. What question should cool. I be asking? I don't think that's one. Is that from the book? Do you remember? I don't remember. I don't think so. It seemed like a kind of a convenient workaround in a show setting, you know, yeah. to get to another layer of information. But I, don't I know, like but it. she's learning the power of questions. Yeah. And so that I thought was really, really interesting. What should we be asking that we are not? So speaking of questions, we should get to what Boreal wants Fra Pavel to figure out. How he can find what Hot Priest found. <laughs> To make that a little clearer for people who haven't watched all the television I've watched, Andrew Scott was on the screen as General John Perry. Is it John Perry? John Perry, a.k.a. Stanislaus Grumman. Grumman. Yeah, so this person in my mind has four names because it's like a Russian novel. They're Hot Priest, Andrew Scott, John Perry, and what is it? His name is John Perry. His patronymic is Hot Priest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm still totally bored by Lord Boreal, despite the uh, very eerie and uh, villainous charm of the actor. I have no idea what he's doing. I have no idea how he relates to the other clerics. I have no idea what his personal mission is, and whether it's in opposition or in furtherance of the magisterium. And I also found that scene where he seems to be blackmailing a gay priest, a yeah. little weird. Yeah. Yeah. what that was about. Yeah. People have read that two different ways in reviews online that I've seen just in the last few hours, which is that he's a closeted homosexual or a closeted pedophile. Yeah, two very different I things. If it was yes, like, obviously, it's some kind of like church definition of perversion. Right. But you don't know actually how. Yeah. Proclivities, I think, is the word yeah. that maybe he uses. Yeah. But again, the magisterium seeming to have these. Um, you know, certain rules that mirror the churches of our world or some religious institutions of our world, our world, but we're not 100% clear what those rules are because they're being revealed very slowly to us. Mm-hmm. Can we listen to one last clip when the band gets together and then we'll call it a day? Well, I think actually plot-wise, Mrs. Coulter is going to baptize oh, yes. the other armored bear. So yeah, the other thing we've just hinted at briefly by discussing her uh, headwear this episode is Mrs. Coulter. Trisha, how much are you piecing together sort of like what she's scheming? I'm not sure exactly what she's up to, but I do think it's interesting that we have now these two very different characters as bears. Yeah. And this one has a very fancy armor on his head, which looks uh-huh. a little silly. <laughs> and I'm not sure what baptizing a bear means, like what the significance of being baptized into the magisterium means. But that's her her tantalizing offer to him, right? I don't get how that's going to connect up with the book stuff, but okay. we'll find out, I guess. All right. 
I like that you're in the dark, too. Well, and it's obvious that that dude is in power, right? Like, Yorick is, like, the one who was cast out and is drinking a lot and sad. And has to be drinking a lot, right? I mean, that, he has to be drinking a lot of ghosts. He's a big yeah, I bear. Remember, I remember when we had that education in, you know, like junior high school health class about ounces of alcohol versus body weight. They did mention that if you were a three-ton polar bear, you had to drink an You're awful gonna lot You're going to need liquor. a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's listen to uh, what might have actually been my favorite scene from the episode. Would you mind if I brought along a little extra help all the same? How did you... He's been mistreated and tricked, just like the Egyptians have been, always mistreated and tricked. He's practically Egyptian. Just like I am. Lyra, you cannot constantly be disobeying me. I agree. Who wants a disobedient kid? But she's right. He's a good bear. He won't have any trouble. As long as you pay him. And me. And who's this? He told me he'd asked for me. No, I told you he'd be grateful for you. I was working on him already being grateful. You've entirely messed up my sales pitch. What did I tell you about how I play cards? Lee Scoresby. I can fight and I can fly. I don't come cheap and neither should I. You'll get gold for gold. I don't know if I was just very tired or what, but for some reason, Lee's like Lee Scoresby, I fight and I fly. Like, I teared up. I thought it was just so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I gotta go. (laughs) Okay, bye, Peter. I I think you were very tired. Uh, I I have two (laughs) complaints about that scene. First of all... Again, just like we talked about last time in regard to the roping where the Egyptians argue about something about which there should be no argument about, Mm -hmm. but they need an argument to make it dramatic. Mm -hmm. The whole idea that the Egyptians wouldn't want the help of an armored bear to set up the conflict in this episode. So Lyra has to manipulate everybody to get the armored bear in there. It doesn't make any sense. Of course they want an armored bear. My God. (laughs) What are you, crazy? Get an armored bear. So I didn't buy any of that. And I'm trying to figure out what's going wrong for me in terms of Lyra. And I think it's began having recently read the book and reminding myself, I admired Lyra because she was active. She was brave. She was resourceful. She charges in and she takes and she's just always there thinking a step ahead and solving the problems. And those are amazing qualities in heroin. And what we've got instead is someone who's clever. Mm. I mean, clever is not the same. I do think another element, which actually a listener had called in to tell us about, which I thought made a lot of sense, is, you know, the in the books, Lyra, I think she reads as a little younger, maybe. Yeah. But she also, like, all she wants to do is find Roger. Like, that is her entire motivation. Is yeah. like, my friend is gone. I told him I would be there for him. I need to find him. Well, and so then and everything that- else, like the adults, it's just extraneous nonsense because she doesn't even care because she is just completely focused on finding Roger. And, you know, I wonder if that's part of it, too, because, you know, they're they're putting in a lot more meaning around, like, who should I trust? You know, there was another, like, yeah. trust conversation on a boat in this episode. It's like maybe, you know, maybe if she were just like, listen, we have to find Roger and, you know, Billy, too. This bear is going to help us do that. Get over it. We're going. That's And that's more or less the kind of person she is in the book. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes her so appealing. And also, as you said, more childlike. Children just want what they want. And she's like that, except she has this amazing ability to actually go get it, which is admirable. And instead, you have somebody who's getting involved in very adult conversations with double meaning. You know, like, oh, I didn't say he wanted you. I said he'd be grateful. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. It's not so much active as clever and manipulative. And uh, I'm not crazy about it. Yeah. Well, 
You've also had three hours of sleep and you're stuck in an airport. That's true. I, I bet your that. demon would tell you to take a nap at this point. Right. Peter. You need a snack? My demon, sadly, is getting on this flight. And if I don't get on it with it, I will be separated from my demon. And that's bad. <laughs> that would be very painful. Quick, hurry, go. All right. Safe travels, Peter. Talk to you next week. Thank you. I'll talk to you guys next week. All Bye-bye. right. Sounds good. I loved all these voicemails this week. We definitely want to keep hearing from you. So leave us a voice memo. Say your name. Tell us where you're at and what your demon would be. Try to do this on Monday nights if you can, right after the latest episode. So after episode five next week, send that to nerdatrecaps at gmail.com. This show is produced by us with help from Justin Bull. And our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. Our theme music was composed by the brilliant Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And you can find it on Spotify. Yes, we are at Nerdat Podcast on on Twitter, Trisha is Trisha Bobita. I am Greta M. Johnson. Peter is Peter Seigel. You can also use the hashtag NerdetRecaps. You can sign up for our newsletter to keep up with all the good stuff that I am like eating and reading and watching, if that's something you'd like. We're at wbez.org slash nerdetaf. And the AF for Addie and Marcel uh-huh. stands for as feminist. I love that you do that every time. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Thanks, Trisha. All right. See you all next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.